0: You're listening to special programming brought to you by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Zandra Pollard and I am so glad to have you all here. So today we're gonna be talking about quite a few things but they're all going to surround women's rights, women's health, and women's physical health, okay? So I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. So I want to introduce my first panel, which will be Senator Dina Neal, uh, District 4 here in Nevada. Uh, Next, I'd like to welcome Andrea Goglin. She is an entrepreneur. She also has a podcast called Boss Lady, uh, so you can check that out. And we also have Yvette Williams, who... Yes, thank you. Yvette Williams is the president of the Clark County Black Caucus. So thank you. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. I'd like to start with the senator talk more about the importance of our
1: reproductive freedom what we're doing here in Nevada. So good good morning, everyone. I'm Senator Dina Neal. Um, Nevada is one of the few states that have actually protected women's reproductive rights. Um, We moved legislation in 2019. We also moved legislation in 2021. And then after the Roe v. Wade case, the governor then did an executive order to then further protect um, reproductive rights in the state of Nevada. That doesn't mean that we don't still need to move the needle around um, equity in reproductive rights, right? So just because we protected the right to go and make a choice about your body in Nevada, we still have an issue in regards to how we are treated equally within the healthcare space for African-American women who need equity within the healthcare space around their bodies. So there was legislation moved around maternal health in 2019. It was Assemblywoman Moreau Moreno. And then in 2021, Assemblywoman Claire Thomas added some meat to the bone on reproductive right and maternal health. And then there are certain uh, policy moving to try to deal with um, weight bias and other biases that are happening within the space. Uh, Because typically if you come in and I would say like what I've learned from my OBGYN is that women, African-American women, for some reason, we have heavier bones, we have heavier weight that we carry. And so typically when we go in, um, if it's a non-person of color, they have a tendency to see the weight bias and other things that may be associated with our health in a pregnancy as the determining factor on why they will just judge the weight versus to seek and find the other issues that may be associated with the health concerns of this individual. I only know this to be true because it's happened to me, it's happened to my daughter, where her weight then became a factor and a diagnosis rather than what was actually wrong with her. And we still need to move the needle in that space, and that's why I say that it's an equity position within health reproductive rights. And it's a shared relationship between all women, not just women of color to lift up these issues and try to push the policy that creates that equity.
0: Thank you for that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned um, about the, the health and the weight and the differences because we will on our second panel have Dr. Brathwaite who is an OBGYN and she can talk further about that. And we will also have a and A at the end and so you guys will be able to ask, to ask some questions. Okay, so continuing on with uh, reproductive freedoms, things that are going on in the state, um, I'd like to talk to my next guest, Yvette Williams, uh, because I know there are some things that are set in place for middle schoolers and high schoolers, uh, particularly high school uh, uh, children, who are able to get involved civically So can you tell us about what's going on in Nevada and what you have put in place uh, so that there is more civic engagement?
2: Thank you, and thank you for uh, for allowing us to have an opportunity to, to have participate in the conference today and to, to add our voice to, to the conversation. Thank you for that. And for all the advocacy that you've done over the years in the community, thank you for your service and contribution. Um, so there are a lot of things going in the, going on in the community. Many organizations are engaging our youth. There's a, a real... Um, Um, excitement right now to to better engage our youth, which I'm really excited to see because that hasn't always been the case. And so I'm really excited about that. I can speak to what we're doing uh, within the Clark County Black Caucus uh, in partnership with Clark County School District. We sponsor our Black Student Union Network. We're in 28 high schools. We're now in five middle schools, getting ready to go into our sixth middle school. And what we're trying to do is build an alignment of a uh, feeder school, so a middle school that's going into a high school. Uh, we can create mentorship opportunities with that high school BSU, with that middle school BSU. But what's important, uh, one of the purposes of doing that is uh, in our mission is to help students um, um, figure out their voice. And, and the important life lesson, uh, one of the best skill sets you can have or one of the most important skill sets you can take into your life, adult life, Uh, is to to learn how to advocate for yourself, because in life, that's what you're going to be doing. Uh, No one else is going to do it for you. And so it's important to understand how to advocate for yourself uh, and the importance of relationships and building those relationships as you advocate. And so through the Black Student Union Network, we've had the opportunity um, to every legislative session, we visit the legislature, uh, we get an opportunity to visit folks like Senator Neil and get an opportunity for the students to actually sit and meet with them and have conversations with them. They're aware of what some of the policy bill drafts are that are before that impact them in, in education justice. I call it education justice, which is all about equity, access, inclusion uh, and, and opportunities, access to those opportunities. And so they get an opportunity to actually engage one on one. And it's amazing to watch the, the, the kids when they come back, we do, a um, they, they have to fill out a report. And so, and to get that, get that report back into here and to see the growth, just from that little little day at the legislature. The other thing we do is uh, we um, work with the Nevada Department of Ed in, in doing a round table with our state superintendent and her entire cabinet. And they actually have an opportunity to get before them and talk about their concerns, what issues, what are, what impacts are they having? What experiences are they having at school and and what, what, what do they need from the Nevada department of ed, uh, to make sure that they have access to quality education as well. And so it's been really great because we've uh, seen a lot of great things happening, um, in the past few sessions and, uh, and such as the multicultural academic standards. Um, we, we had a bill this last session, but that extended it from race. The original uh, legislation passed was uh, just for race and ethnicity. We, uh, the uh, legislature, of course, added to that now. Um, and so now it's, it's a lot of other um, pieces to that. Uh, but that's just an example. But, and the, stu- and the students had a real impact in that. They actually got to participate in that. And so we're trying to engage them around that, getting them to understand the process first. What is the process? What role do you play in that process? Making sure they understand you can register at age 17. You can't vote yet, but you can register at 17. And it's your, it's your responsibility to tell your friend and show them how to register on their phone. And so uh, it's been really just great. And the kids are loving it. They're feeling more empowered. They're feeling like they've got some ownership now. They feel like they've got um, you know, a role to play in, in, civic, uh, in the civic um, responsibilities. And So thank you for allowing uh, me the opportunity to showcase our students.
0: Thank you, and then so I wanted to ask you you some what? how do you get someone, okay, say there's a family where the parents are not um, as engaged, how can you engage those students more?
1: So there's a couple of ways, right? Legislators are always looked at as, well, I wouldn't say too far in this state, but you know, we're always removed from the family per se until the voting process happens. But I know my, my actions and um, some of my other legislative friends have spent a lot of time within the schools. When we get an opportunity to go in and speak to parents, speak to students, we talk about advocacy, we talk about their role, because the way I see civic engagement in this process, my generation is the only generation that actually knows what happened in the past, right? Outside of our elders who are still around, we're still the middle generation who can express what happened in post-slavery, what happened in the 60s, what happened in the 40s, what happened in the 70s, because we grew up in it and we're, or we grew up with the oral story or tradition from our families. And so it's very important that my generation passes down that information to the generation that's beneath us. So the 20 year olds, the 17 year olds, because they need to understand where civic engagement came from, where this fight around voter policy came from, because it is the reason and why they exist in a non-segregated school. It's the reason why they're able to cross the street and get on a bus that is dedicated not just for some black school but for a school across the town and why they have a choice. And so it's very important that we teach not only the impact of law, right? Because law is the sentences that dictate your life, shape policy, shape social organizations, shape the trajectory of where nonprofit is going to go either in the absence of or for an agenda. And so, that is not necessarily always made plain to students, but we have to make it plain to students because they have a role in advocacy. They can form their own groups, they can move forward as their own advocates within the space, and we, and I think it's important because sometimes they think, well, my advocacy is only around my grades, it's only around what's going on in the school district, but actually they can move policy in very different subject matters if we actually give that, them that umbrella And we give them that opportunity to move so. And so I have those conversations with parents and I try to have the conversations with students that if someone has told you or tried to kill your spirit, right, delete whatever that memory is or whatever that statement was, because you do have purpose. You do have a place within Las Vegas, in Nevada or in globally, just in this world. And I try to. Say that not only to them, but also to the parent themselves, because what we know to be true is that sometimes parents raise children based on their own personal hurt, their own personal division, their own personal space. And sometimes you have to be able to talk about advocacy around the mental position and your belief and your purpose and your passion, because there could have been a parent whose passion was killed while they're killing their other their children's passion. And so sometimes it takes a third party to come in and refuel, re energize, and say, you are someone and you have a place in this space.
0: All righty. So now I would like to uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like to um, talk about the safety of our children, right? How to keep our youth safe. So I have Shatana. Nelson here to talk about slavery and human trafficking, as Las Vegas is at the top, or one of the top uh, places for sex trafficking in particular. Um, Shatana, what, ha- what are the major hubs of sex trafficking? And, but before you tell us that, can you please tell us or explain to us what slavery and human trafficking is?
3: Absolutely. Um, First, I wanna say in order to combat anything that is slavery or any type of oppression, it is a tree. So as we all sit here from different um, branches of this tree, nothing can be resolved without the whole tree. And often we forget that, right? You can't combat racism without talking about sexual reproduction and, and the rights with that, right? So as we get into this, I wanted to give you guys that perspective. So when we're talking about slavery and human trafficking, we all have perceptions um, that are dangerous because if you're not educated on the topic, you can't stop it, right? So slavery and human trafficking is, is something that you can be coerced. It is it can be fraud or it could be force. So. Everybody thinks this this is human trafficking. It happens with the kids. They snatch the kids or they snatch the teens and they take them. But there are elderly people in their homes that don't get their Social Security checks or anything because someone is there that is forcing them to clean and take care of their children right? There are men who come here from a different country who are being forced to work for absolutely nothing because they don't want to be um, reported. That's slavery. When we talk about trafficking and slavery, they are the same thing at this point. Modern day, it is the exact same thing. It's anyone that's being tricked, For instance, girls that come to school with nice bracelets and they're 17 and they're dating a 20-year-old and they're pulling up in the bands and her life looks great, but the truth is he's grooming her. So I want everyone today to get anything out of your head of what you think slavery and trafficking looks like. It looks many different ways and many different forms. So if I told you what it was in the simplest form, it is someone that has been coerced, it is either fraud, fraud where they are being tricked as well, just like coercion, or in some cases they are being forced um, and they can be forced to um, have sex um, in a city like Vegas where prostitution is legal. It's, it's very hard to find it. And I want to let you guys know it is a $1.5 billion business. And we probably are get this is by what we're getting reported. And we're probably getting 30 percent reported because in order to catch human trafficking or even understand what it is, someone's got to pick up the phone and call. How many immigrants are not going to call? How many girls um, are not going to call? How many runaway teens are never going to call? Right. So that's what it is. It is very broad. It's anything where people are being forced used or tricked into working, rather it is uh, working at a store, a lot of the corner stores that you see those workers in there, that's trafficking, Um, or rather it being sex. Um, The second thing she asked me are, what are the hubs? Um, And here's the worst part about it, we can guess. And it is the scariest thing you can ever think about guessing about. the reason you're guessing at it is because she talked about what our generation bring to the table. Well, these kids know how to do things on the internet that we will never figure out. And that is the number one place. The black market is here. I'm talking about Meta, about 70% of your kids who get on there have been looked at for human trafficking, 70%, okay? Um, so when we talk about the major hubs, this is what we name: We name Vegas. We name Miami beach. We name Atlanta. We name Houston, we name New York, we name places in California. Why? Because they're big cities and they're also party cities, so you're getting some reports there. Nobody's talking about what's going on in Louisiana or in Mississippi, where there are major hubs there. So the hubs are everywhere, everywhere, uh, but our biggest cities is where we have our advocates and our legislators legislators, I can't talk, um, fighting for something. Rather, it is just an OBGYN who sits on a panel and knows when a young girl comes in and she can go report that. But in the smaller cities where healthcare isn't as good or the teachers aren't paid or they don't even know there's an advocacy line, we do not know. We just know we're looking at a $1.5 billion business about every six months.
0: Donna is very humble. She came on my show about a year ago. Um, she does many different things. One of them is the finest hour or finest PR. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I knew you was going to bring that up. Yes, I'll bringing it up. She also uh, helped with uh, the Obama's My Brother's Keeper. And she is also working on a project with Michelle Obama. So she continues to work. Um, with the Obamas on projects. And so you are,
3: I'm so delighted to have you here. Thank you. I am um, a woman who empowers, right? So that has a lot of different hats. Um, By trade, I am a strategist. That means a quantitative strategist. That means I gather all the data um, around anything that anyone calls me to to do. But um, I got my footing as most people know from the finest hour PR that has represented some of the biggest entertainers on the planet, um, from Rock Nation to Def Jam to um, 50 to, um, I've done projects with, with Drake, with Denzel, with uh, Black Panther movies. And uh, that is where most people know me. Um, she said that I'm humble, but the truth is the work that I do here means much more than anything that I do over there. Um, It was actually being in the entertainment industry that made me go, oh, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. We have a whole bunch of people uninformed and a whole bunch of people disappearing. Mm -hmm. So what I do over there, the Finance Hour PR works with a little bit of everybody on the planet, internationally um, and domestically. But what I do for trafficking is around really big events. So let's say um, All-Star Weekend or the Super Bowl. I get a team together of different people, whether they are law enforcement or private investigators, and we go and extract people because it's... Because big events is the biggest time where people and traffickers don't pay attention and we save hundreds of thousands of people. We also go back and provide resources to those people. For instance, most of those women who are being trafficked, and men have little children who've never had a new pair of shoes. So I work with Samaritan's Feet across the planet and we give out close to a million pair of shoes, um, school supplies and backpacks per year. So what I do on the trafficking level is um, I seek, I save, I sustain. Um, I would like to now speak to
0: my panelist, Andrea. I'm just going to call her Dr. Andrea. (laughs) Uh, She has a podcast, as I've mentioned before, called Boss Lady, and she's going to give us some information about entrepreneurialism. So what I wanted to ask you is, with all of the social change, Mm -hmm. how can we uh, deal with the demands of business, and what does that look like?
4: Okay. Let me, uh, let me just start by clarifying a number of things through all of the great information. You know, um, one, my name is Dr. Andrea Gigline and the podcast is Hey Boss Lady. And hey. it is because of that podcast that I'll be able to share with you some of the incredible work that these women are doing and how it all intertwines with business. Because although I'm academically trained, at my heart, I am a business person. So you may think, that something like slavery and human trafficking has no place in a conversation when you're trying to run your business. But here today, one of the very good brothers that were that you know Senator Turner mentioned that she hoped were in the room, Matt was sharing with me how he has a business of house cleaning. Well, he may be going about his business of, but when he's in that business, he will see things. And because he is aware as a business person of conversations that take place like this, he knows what the signs are if he's cleaning someplace and there are signs that children are being held or that someone's being held against their will. We don't think of these things. We live in a city where we wouldn't exist if these huge buildings with the the 42 million people come to our city every single year but in those hotel rooms is one of the first touch points that the work she is doing will actually help us to to reduce it. And of course, again, you may think that these topics are unrelated, but I'm gonna tell you the work that Senator Neal is talking about in the legislature from reproductive rights. If you think you can own a business when you do not have control of your body, and know where our children are <laughs> and how they are being educated. You cannot own that business. When, when the Senator Turner talked about it being our, our jawbones and our wishbones and our backbones, there is never a time that we are together where these topics are not intertwined. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto was the person who sat with an incredible community member, member Amy Ayub, and a number of years ago got sex trafficking and the bill passed to, to make, to decriminalize children from having these, um, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, to have these types of things brought to all of our attentions so that me as a business person could go into in my part of my community service working with PBS as a donor. What did we do? We worked to get a complete block on TV one night several years ago so that everyone in our community became aware. So <laughs> when you see these as separate subjects, and I will then take you to that subject, because I had the privilege this week as a business person to go into the RISE Academy for Teach for America, one of the phenomenal programs not only in Las Vegas but nationally that the government helps support. By the way, all this crankiness about governments, um, where I was asked to come in and discuss what was my journey. And we started out, to Yvette's point, it is at the youngest ages... I ask them, what do you like to do? And as business people and adults in this room, I will ask you, what do you like to do? Start there and build your life, your business life, and your community. So with these children, they gave me things. They were nine years old. I like to paint. I like to play with my friends. We talked about what that looks like as a business. So what I would ask you to do, don't... Departmentalize reproductive rights, slavery and trafficking, what has to happen in our schools. All of these pieces build us as a community, build us as a business, build us as a nation. And until we can see us together like that, the concept that there is no color I know can be offensive, But I will always ask that you remember at the spiritual level, there is no color. We have color here, yes. But at the spiritual level, there is no line in that sand. And together, through our voting, we can, in fact, enact policies as long as we hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. I am the world's greatest... Letter writer, caller, I will agitate you to the rest of your life. But that's what makes this so important.
2: And a yeah. great advocate, too. Yes.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, does anyone have any questions for the panelists? Um, you can come down to the mic and ask them whatever question you'd like.
5: Good morning, beautiful ladies. Can Good you hear morning. me? My name is Sylvia Allen, and I am part of a team of ladies here from the National Coalition of 100 Black Women. And we are just pleased to be here. And you're talking about some important topics that are just on our hearts today more than ever. Uh, my question is, there's a forecast across the television nationally that there's a possibility that this country is truly going to turn red. There's a forecast that Nevada may turn red meaning red for some of you in that, the Republican Party will certainly win so many seats. And having lived somewhat of a long life, I'm in the fourth quarter of life, you can't always worry about how it's going to turn. You have to worry about what you're going to do, irrespective of what color it turns. I'd like your thoughts on the things we need to do no
2: matter who wins. You need to understand who has the power to change what you want changed. Then let's figure out a plan to get that done, to have that conversation. It all starts with a conversation and begin to build a relationship with your elected officials. Um, and again, I just want to stress, it doesn't matter who's in office. At the end of the day, stay focused on the issue and push forward that, that policy that you need uh, to, to thrive.
3: I get to talk to a lot of students everywhere. And um, what you find in the younger generation is they want to burn stuff down, not really. But I mean, they want to change something, right? They're willing to shake the earth, literally. Then you have the older generation, and some of them are tired, Then you have the people in between. And I I love to use this example. Um, I I found it very powerful. Martin Luther King, it did not matter which side was in office, he was in trouble. (laughs) Didn't matter if it was a Republican, didn't matter if it was Democrat, him, when he decided to stand up on podiums and, and say we needed change, it did not matter who was in office. It was the lesser of the two evils. But he taught us a very imperative lesson that we all need to take with us forever. They are representatives that we put in these positions. But if you want to change anything, do it. It's nice to talk. It's nice to scream it's great for you to go and look up your representative. It's good for you to even send her a whole bunch of information is to have the local officials. That's nice. But if you don't actively get up and be a part of the change, then nothing changes. It's not real. Oh, go ahead, y'all clap. I want my clap. I want to
0: say thank you for my, with my first panel, Yvette, (laughs) Andrea, Shatana, Senator Dina Neal, thank you for being here.